Show presents Scratch It Trailer. The podcast where we debate which track to scratch off some of the most known and unknown albums of all time. We live in an era of singles. This is an album. People no longer listen to an album for the work it truly is. It kind of defines a man. It's just not something that people relate to nowadays. We've all gotten the dreaded. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Scratch Shark Podcast presented by the Dude and Grim Show. I am the Dude. And I am Grim. And today is a big one. Today is the one and only Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, we will not. I mean, thing, I know Grim, it's a double vinyl. It just feels heavy. Just it's it's, just, it's, it's heavy. Are, is that 180 gram? Are they 180 grams? I bet they are. I think they probably are. Probably, um, and I'm yes. I'm actually going to get them out because as we get into some stuff here, there's going to be some some very important facts that come from the uh, the jackets here of this record. Yes, muy importante. That um, was left on well, the Wikipedia entry. Oh, wow. Well, Grim, I think speaking of exile, that is exactly what we don't want to do here on this channel. What we do want to do is we want to invite you and everyone watching and listening to subscribe. So give us a like, like subscribe, and comment below. And definitely give us a comment below. Let us know what you think about this Rolling Stones album. Some people consider it. Some critics consider it. Lots of people consider it their best album. Do you consider it their best album? Is it your favorite album? Let us know below. I do. I'm gonna go out I there and too. say it's it is it is my favorite of theirs. Um, although Beggars Banquet, Beggars Banquet's pretty uh, pretty awesome too. Yeah, well, this one between for me, it's between Sticky Fingers and this one. Sticky Fingers me. is also a really but, good one. You know, we've talked about this. This tattoo so you. this one mm. tattoo you tattoo me. So this one was released in '72, and they had a string. This is to me. Just like the sweetest classic Stones, the these four albums starting oh, with Beggar's Let It Banquet, Bleed. I forgot about let it that bleed, one. Sticky Fingers and then Exile on Main Street. I, I just that to me is just them at their peak, their prime. Yep. I, I I just I don't know how many other ways to say it. It's just my favorite era and period of them uh, creatively. And it's, I just think they just did some exceptional work during that time. I mean, those four albums are my four favorite albums of theirs. Oh, easy. By far. Easy. And then, and then I would say Tattoo You. Yeah. I, I would agree. probably, you know, then Tattoo You. Um, but I also, you know, this album, it's, it's a strange album for a variety of reasons. I think, mm-hmm. I think we'll get into that. Um, you know, it mixes a lot of different styles. It does some things that they really hadn't. Um, kind of explored and done before. Uh, a, a lot of it, what really stands out initially is the use of the horns on this album. Uh, Dude, I mean, yeah. they they really used it and used them well. Well, yeah, and hey, you know, hats off to Bobby Keys there. Um, but one of the one of the interesting things uh, in watching the Stones in Exile, um, I believe it was the guy who was the the photographer and got a lot of this footage. I think he's a French guy, and yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, That's and great photos. Oh yeah, and he he mentioned that the Stones were not just this five piece band, especially during this period. 
Um, mm. There were, I mean, you had Nicky Hopkins who played a lot of piano for him. Ian Stewart played some piano. Um, you even brought in some some other people doing some key stuff later on. But I mean, dude, think of some of the other work Bobby Keys had done. Um, right. Like, I can't you hear me knocking? I mean, he he was he was like. Might be my favorite Stone song. Yeah, he's like the Rolling Stones' fifth Beatle, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I really sure. would would say that for him more so than anybody. Yeah. Well, and even you know one of the guys who did play with the Beatles, who also played on this album, Billy Preston, and not not only his playing, but he was very influential in the gospel. Oh yeah. Um, sort of um, aspects of this album because when they were in L.A., kind of mixing and doing some overdubbing. Um, he took, uh, uh, Mick to like Sunday service and that really got Mick going on some of these gospel sounds. So you have these beautiful background vocals and harmonies, um, they're just outstanding. And, uh, it's very cool that, you know, Billy, Billy Preston was so influential in that. Yeah. And I guess I, I, uh, I have to correct this, um, I'm not going to say Wikipedia was wrong by any means. Somebody did put in the correct thing. I just didn't see it at first because I would have thought that he got credited for playing a piano or an organ part. But there uh-huh. is a gentleman um, who is listed as Mac Rebenak, and he does okay. background vocals on Let It Loose. Other people might know him by his musician name as Dr. John. Dr. John, that's right. Because I read right. earlier in the article and it said that they were preparing stuff for Billy Preston and Dr. John. Then I thought, dude, Dr. John is not credited until I, I read his his right. God-given name, which is Mac Rebenak. And right. uh, I, I thought that was interesting because in parallel to that, he recorded an album and released it in 1971 called The Sun, The Moon, and Herbs. And both Bobby Keys... Hmm. And Mick Jagger appear on that album. Ooh, fun. It's like, yeah. you rub my back, I'll rub yours. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's and it's cool because cool Mick Jagger does background vocals, and you can very distinctly hear him. It, tell it's Mick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, right. I think that's cool. Well, so, you know, Billy, I mean, we'll talk about this maybe a little more when we get into the tracks, but I see that Billy Preston's only credited with playing on Shine a Light. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, and it looks like Nicky Hopkins, they... They give a lot of key. It says keyboards, but he plays a lot of the piano on this album too. He does. Um, when I yeah, when I was doing research for the individual tracks, it kind of stood out. But just if you look at the album, it just kind of says Nicky Hopkins keyboards. Yeah, because I, I think they, you know, there were some different ones. I mean, he definitely plays the Wurlitzer uh, electric piano. I just want to see his face. Yeah. Um, yep. And you can hear a lot of acoustic piano throughout the album, too. I don't know. I guess maybe there is um, there is also piano in, in Shine a Light. But the organ part is, is a little a little behind in the mix. But it's, dude, it's a hot organ part. Like, Billy Preston yeah. had to play that. Yeah, of course. I don't expect any other. Um, you know, I, I, it's interesting. We just talked about this being sort of the stone like our favorite stones album i think a lot of critics um have said that i believe in 2003 rolling stones top 500 albums this was number seven i think most recently in the 2020 updated version i want to say it was 14 13 or 14 from what i read okay um and 
the thing that's interesting about it is not that it doesn't have hits because tumbling dice is, is, is a hit, but it doesn't have a hit sort of the classic rock radio. Hit. I, I like know you it. might hear that on there, but it doesn't. I mean, when you think about the previous albums, right, you have songs like Gimme Shelter, Can't Always Get What You Want, Street yeah, Fighting Man, sure. Brown Sugar, Sympathy for the Devil. It kind of, it doesn't have a song like that I know. on this album. I know. And and yet, but I think it's just so well-rounded. I, that's that's really what I what I really what I really like about it. And, well, um, I, I think it showcases what they could do with kind of roots music in the blues better than anything. Because I used to, I'm not going to say an argument, but we used to kind of back and banter forth uh, my wife and I about she would say Stones or Beatles. Oh, Stones. I, I got to say Beatles, but. I, my caveat is no one could ever yeah, no. do the blues as good as the Stones. None of the other bands. Yeah. None of the other bands sounded more authentic than the Rolling Stones to do like they the way they did American, like their kind of take on American country music and the blues. I don't think there's any other band that could touch that. Yeah, that's t- just like a tough, it's a tough thing for, I feel like, I'll call myself an adult here. I feel like as an adult, I, I put on the Stones a lot more than I put on the Beatles now. Yeah, I, that, sure. That's that, that's just uh, just what I do. Um, if somebody asks me the questions, Beatles or Stones, I'm, I'm going to be that I'm going to be that jerk who's like, oh, I can't decide. But it's almost like I need more caveats. Like I'm like, well, how? Yeah, I, like, I understand. And I just think of for the sake of just pushing music to another plateau, I don't think you can argue the Beatles. But the Beatles like to mess around with the blues, too. But they could not do it like the Stones. They, they not, just couldn't. Not like this. Yeah, not like this. And, and I this like was... it because while other bands during this time were trying to take the blues into like psychedelic territory, kind of, mm-hmm. they yeah. were more authentic with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean this, especially this album. It's just so raw, and yeah. I mean, we'll get into the, the recording process. I think a little bit, you know, with yeah. how you shoot, and um, you know, we'll get into that a little bit, and um, how it was recorded probably added to that that rawness a little bit. But I think before we just jump into that, you know, the sort of the story behind this was they, for the most part, they didn't have a lot of money at this point. They were in legal battles with Alan Klein, who basically screwed them, who is sort of their manager. Story behind that kind of goes, he renegotiated the Stones contract with um, their current record company, which was DECA. And basically he got them uh, a $1.25 million advance for all their, for basically future royalties. What he did though is, so the Stones had a company they had a music company called Nanker Felge Music. Mm, mm-hmm. So Klein started a company called Nanker Felge USA. And apparently all that, that $1.25 million, well, he was the sole president and stockholder. That went all into his company, in the U.S. company. They didn't see any of that. And so Ooh. this was all done without them knowing. Uh-huh. The contract that they that they had signed with him said that he would not have to release that money to them for 20 years. That's the contract that they had, the fine print. He also tricked them into surrendering surrendering their publishing rights to all their recordings. So basically, Klein ended up owning 
all the the North American rights to everything the Stones had produced under contract with Decca Records until their contract would expire in 1971. So, you know that Hot Rocks double oh, album? Yeah. That's like their greatest hits, 64 to 71. Dude, he made that's their that's the Stones' best selling album, and he got all the, like the North Americans' proceeds off of that. Damn, dude, that is it's pretty crazy. That is real shit. Yeah. I have a copy of that on vinyl too. I so do I. Yeah, and dude, but for then, that yeah. I'm throwing out a big WTF fat, yeah. ITS. Yeah, fuck is that? so that was part of their financial problems. But then, so in the mid '60s in in England. The tax rate for wealthier citizens was 83%. Yeah. Then on top of that, there was a super tax of 15%. So their 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 rate was like 98%. I think Bill Wyman or somebody said he was like, Yeah, um, if if you made if you made like a million dollars, you get to keep like 70 grand. Whatever, well, yeah, whatever and, that person. And it's I mean that prompted the song Tax Man by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And I actually had heard stories on the Disgraceland podcast of this where um part of what they would do is when they were in the US, it was a little different, right? And so uh why can't I think of their manager's name? I mean Brian Epstein? Yeah, Epstein would try to do a lot of stuff in cash and they would like smuggle suitcases of cash around to, to them. Sure. Well, dude, I I'm don't sure. blame them. Over a 90% dude, tax rate. Dude, that's Fuck insane. You. Yeah. That's yeah. Insane. All to make that's sure that those people, um, you know, that the Royal family doesn't have to lift a finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got to pay for them to do nothing. Mm. Yeah. Well, since then, yeah, since then, um, they've, moved their financial affairs to uh, Holland in the Caribbean, which lowers their tax liabilities. So they've, they, <laughs> they found ways around it. They yeah. found, I can't dude. I can't wait till this show makes it. And we get to do those fun little tax things. And we're like, you know, Caymans. really big and yeah, Caymans. it's going to be awesome. We get to, we get to Trump it. Right. Oh it's yeah. Sweet. Um, so, so essentially they owed this whole, all these back taxes. Cause nobody had like, nobody had paid mixed taxes. He had no idea. And so instead, everything was, um, they were, you know, all their assets were going to get seized. And the only way to get out of it was to really just like, hey, we got to get out of the country so we can like get some money. So that way we can eventually pay all this off. Like we just can't can't be, you know, citizens anymore. Yeah. And so essentially they decided to move to, to the south of France. Well, most of them did. But Mick got married to Bianca at that point. He was and they like lived in Paris. In Paris. Yeah, Charlie then, Watts, I think, said he lived like a seven-hour drive. Seven-hour drive, yeah. From ne- I, I think because I think um, Keith's villa was in Nice, I believe, and so and they were all just kind of like spread out, and people would show like the whole even with the whole recording process, people would just kind of show up some days, not show up. They even said like Mick wasn't even there a whole lot because yeah. he didn't put really any. I don't think he put any of his vocals in at the villa. Using that, he put when they went to LA afterwards and they did all the yeah, where that was they did all the vocal work. Well, it was interesting because I I, had, I saw that he became much more involved during that part of the process, and you know, concurrently, Keith's daily heroin habit kind of kind of took him over a little bit. So so kind of yeah, pulled it yeah. together there. He did well, so. 
I know you've seen you know, Stones in Exile, and if people haven't seen this documentary, it is it's it's, awesome. it's amazing. If you're a huge Stones fan, uh, it's there's just great photos, interviews with people. A lot of it's just kind of voiceover interviews, and they show footage from back in the day and stuff that they had. But it basically tells kind of the whole story of how this came to be. Uh, but it's got great photos and videos of like the villa and everything where they recorded it. But you'll kind of hear that it becomes very apparent that it was a shit show basically is what it was. And there's no better way to really say it. Right. But man, it dude, it sounds like they, they really much like I am this summer. They really focused on just having a good summer and they, they did. Yeah. And it was funny because despite all the craziness and uh, apparently there were, um, Keith got hooked up with these gangsters from Crete. Yeah. And those were the guys who were bringing over like all the heroin. Um, yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because they, they said that where this is located, you got Marseille on one side and then Italy on another. So he's like, basically anything you want between, between the mafia and everything that was going on in, yeah. in Marseille, like you could get anything you wanted. No problem. Yeah. And right. I guess there were a couple close calls with the police, um, but nothing, nothing that resulted in like a bust or anything. But apparently, right. when they left that that villa, um, yeah. it's not so much that they were asked to leave. It was, but time they to go. were they were just <laughs> kind of ahead of it. Yeah, it was yeah, it was yeah. just time to get out of there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so some of the I guess I would say roadblocks that they had in recording in, in this villa. So what they did was, is they get down to France and they go around and they look at all these recording studios and they're like, yeah, these aren't going to work for us. Like we're the rolling stones. We need like something better. And, but they had this, you know, the, as you know, the mobile truck studio, yep. which they had partially used, I think to record uh sticky fingers because they were recording at Jagger's house for that. Um, Led Zeppelin, Use that for some recording on uh, their album three. three, three and four. Part of four, they started recording some of it, and then somebody got sick. I don't know. I've maybe that was on Led Zeppelin three. Yeah, that was on three, um, and I think they used a little part of it on four. It said, but but this house, I mean, it's just like this huge villa, right? It's this huge just mansion, and the basement though had like three levels to it, and all different rooms were all different shapes and sizes, and they had different barriers and they would they said they were like yeah it was kind of hard because we'd be in different rooms and we couldn't see each other it was like hot and humid and dusty um you know and because it was hot and humid the instruments constantly went out of tune tune, yeah yeah which is which is a huge huge deal but also they didn't have your standard like control booth right where it's like hey you know i'm i'm in i'm over here in this room recording i can talk to you yeah so they're like passing messages and like yelling down hallways and running down to like relay things. And it was just not probably the most efficient way to, to record an album. No, I can't imagine just like doing something in that kind of heat. That sounds so miserable, man. Yeah. I mean, I probably didn't have air conditioning back then. No. Well, no, I, at least at this house. And dude, the crazy thing is the basement should theoretically be one of the colder parts of the house. Totally, right? Yeah. Well, also, as you've mentioned, that, uh, you know, Keith and his girlfriend at the time were, were very, very heavy into heroin. 
like yeah. pretty Anita crazy. Allenberg. Like, yeah, yeah. And at one point, I guess they were so strung out that they like set their bed on fire in their house. Like that's that's cool. I um, but yeah, that. but like you were saying, dude, they were hooked up with some drug dealers. But then they had like friends and celebrities. Like John Lennon came and visited, and apparently though, like all these people are staying there. You have all these random people showing up, and I guess people showed up. And they stole like I think it's between like, guitars, eleven and yeah, uh, uh, yeah, eleven guitars. There was a bunch of different numbers that I and they said they I just saw. walked out the door with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plain and simple as that because everything was so chaotic, you know. Yeah, nobody was managing the house. I I have a feeling they you know it wasn't like hey okay don't don't forget to set the alarm before you leave right yeah <laughs> well and and one of the people that was there is kind of a. Uh, an interesting musician that um, that really doesn't get talked about a lot, but I've I've heard some things about him. His name is Graham Parsons. Yes, and I've heard he, that name too. He released an album that is pretty highly regarded. Um, is kind of like an underground thing, but apparently everyone says he was really good. And Keith Richards was pretty influenced by him because he was more like. You've heard of the genre like alt country, right? Well, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's kind of, it's not like the commercial crap that comes out, but it's it's like what country was meant to be kind of. Okay. Well, right. people say that Graham Parsons invented alt country, right? And so apparently he he was there for a while and he was he was kind of an influence on Keith and his songwriting and stuff like that, but nice. apparently Mick Jagger did not dig him. Uh, no. that much and eventually i think graham parsons was uh, kind of asked to leave yeah i heard that too i and I, I think he was i think he was pretty influential in a lot of the drugs that were also going on oh there. dude or, yeah. yeah i he 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 may well have been part of the reason that uh keith and anita palmer got so deep into heroin on it yeah yeah Thanks for that, buddy. And and I think uh, at that time I don't know if he had any money, so he's just like just kind of, right. you know. Yeah. Well, so the interesting thing with this was is people not only were just people coming and going, but band members were coming and going. Like you know, Mick would kind of show up, and Charlie Watts would would be around, and then Mick Taylor would go, but then Bill Wyman would show up, or he wouldn't be there at certain times, and they would start a lot of times start recording really really late at night. And then just record all night, like into the morning. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, it seemed like it was just like band by committee. Like whoever was there could play like this guy, Jimmy Miller. He played drums on a couple songs on happy and shine a light, I guess. And Bill well, and Wyman, he's, a, he's the produce. He's the producer of the album. Yeah. Right. And right. that's, what's weird is well, I hadn't, I haven't really heard of him as, as the, a producer from that time. So the funny thing is though, too, and, and you get different, stories from mick and keith one thing that mick said is like he was like yeah you know went to la to mix the album and you know jimmy was the producer and was supposed to be there like doing that but he was like he was like way too strung out to be doing it and so mick was just like yeah i basically just had to do it huh yeah um but so he played drums on some songs um and they said like Technically, Bill Wyman is only credited with playing bass on eight songs. He says he played more. Yeah. But Mick, you know, Mick Taylor said that he played bass on a couple of songs. And then Bill Wyman later was like, no, 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 he didn't do that. I put the bass part in for that song. And it's just like, 
You know, I, yeah. they probably, dude, they probably don't even know. I mean, they I know. really probably, I mean, they probably, there were probably times where they were recording tracks and they both put bass parts in. And I don't even know if, you know, if they listen yeah. to the track, if, if they could be like, oh yeah, that's me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, basically when they got done, you know, they kind of, things ran their course, as you said, and it was just, it was just time to go. Yeah. And, uh, so they ended up just going to LA and that's where they were going to, 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 to mix the album. Now, most of the basic tracks had been done at the Villa. And then also some tracks had been done um, a few years earlier, a year or so earlier during the Sticky Finger Sessions. So some of the songs did transition over from the Sticky Finger Sessions. I um, think one of those was Happy, wasn't it? I believe it was. Yeah, so I think there was about four or five. And oh, here's okay. the and here's the deal with that. Those four or five, Alan Klein ended up suing the Stones for because oh. those were recorded during those times and sessions. So he said he he owned the rights to them. So I'm pretty sure that one, Sweet Virginia, was one of them. I believe Ventilator Blues was one of them. Oh, um, yeah. Man. So they got kind of they got kind of screwed on a few of those. Dude, um, they should have had that guy <laughs> killed. Like that, yeah. I mean that's that's really it it it's so devious too because he did it all within the bounds of what's illegal but it's so incredibly uh, unethical it it's just disgusting it is it is well there were many many lawsuits over the years after that and I think eventually they did settle things um but I mean yeah the stones were pretty stressed during this time period so they stuck to a very high drug regimen yeah, yeah, it looks that yeah. way. So one thing though that I read, and I find this, dude, again, this is where sort of, um, I guess, accounts you know, kind of, kind of vary a little bit. Um, well, one, Mick was very, very confused as to why fans loved it so much. He was like, you know, one because we talked about, it, he was like, only really three of the songs got decent radio play, and he's like, many of the songs have actually never been played live, which is, I was really surprised once they started like talking about them i was like wow yeah a bunch of these songs have really never been played live or only played once i i wouldn't i wouldn't imagine they ever played i just want to see his face i mean you could kind of go through and just look at some and be like yeah i you know i I they played sweet black angel once in fort worth (laughs) oh really interesting um but again like just very very rarely um now it's kind of been accounted that like how we've just kind of talked about like you know they were all over the place mick was over there sometimes they record with charlie watts other times you know it looks like jimmy miller put some drums in and stuff but then then keith was basically quoted as saying is like oh i loved it it was like one of my favorite times and favorite albums because like we were all working together and i'm like dude you you really were strung out on heroin because that because basically everybody and the documentary basically say that that was not the case yeah but I, might, I think I might think misremember it's that probably just interesting too because you know we've talked a lot uh, about other albums that were recorded at a house and this idea that you live and work in this environment and for right. him, dude, the party's always at his house and everyone's always coming over, so it probably felt that way. Yeah, I'm sure, absolutely, man, absolutely. But I think. One thing, I don't know, we can probably get into the tracks here in a minute, but one thing that um, 
they were talking about, I think it was Keith Richards, they were talking about how Mick and Keith were trying to come up with a track order for this album and just kind of kind of how hard it was. And he was like, Keith was like, yeah, he's like, I'd send a cassette to Mick in the middle of the night, and, you know, um, you know, put like his version of what he thought the order should be at the door. And then Mick would be like, oh, hey, hey, it's, you know, um, he would be sending it, you know, Mick would send his to Keith. And then Keith would listen to it. He's like, yeah, that's pretty good. But you've got four songs in, in a row in the same key. We can't do that. And, mm. and just, you know, kind of things like that. And he was just like, you know, you come across all these sort of problems that you never thought of. And he yeah. was like kind of making making a, uh, a jigsaw puzzle fit, right? Well, yeah. And it sounds like that because I didn't, I guess I always knew about like this being recorded at Nelcott and you heard kind of like these stories about that. But you, then you really get a feel for it in watching that documentary, right? Right. But I didn't realize that so much of the vocals and all the background stuff, which makes a lot of those songs, was done in L.A. And so you got to figure, dude, they probably had just hours of just like jams. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and then and then you take this and you wind up in L.A. and it's kind of like, what the hell are we going to do with this now? Well, especially when you have all these different people playing parts and putting stuff in, I, I mean, basically, they must have just had all this material. We're like, all right, I guess we got to start going through this and just see what the hell we even have here, right? And like, yeah. see how much of this is usable. Because, yeah, yeah that's uh, it. you know, because especially if you're, you know, everybody's all wasted and stuff, like, you're like, oh, yeah, this sounds great. And then you kind of listen to it and you're like, oh, yeah, we should maybe redo that one. Uh, so I, I just find it interesting that, I mean, I, a project like that just must have been massive to go through, especially back in the day when you're doing like analog tape. <laughs> oh, I mean, dude, they must have had like uh, just a crate's worth of tape from oh, this. Oh, it must have been just insane to go through. Because I don't, I don't know. Well, number one, watching it, I couldn't tell. I mean, it looked like two inch twenty four track tape, but I don't know if that was invented yet. So it may have been right. a little less. Uh, in terms of how many tracks it could support. But, I mean, you're talking big, fat, metal reels. But right. I don't know what a reel of tape would get you in terms of time. That's which true. Which also depends on what speed you record. I mean, there, there's a lot of variables, but on average, on the highest possible fidelity, um, yeah. what what is a reel of tape going to get you in terms of time? Yeah. Well, and plus, it's like, yeah, and how efficient were they recording? You know, how, like, are the engineers, like, when they were, you know, were they, like, labeling stuff? Or are they, like, writing it down? I mean, just... I would think so, I, I because, would so. dude, you had to document back then because you couldn't just, like, you know, save the different versions. And somebody said that, um, like, Mick and Keith kind of had different styles of recording. And, and, and Keith was, like, you know, you'd record a song 20 times and then... Then maybe you'd rethink something and record it twenty more times. Ten times, yeah. Well, the, yeah. The, I forget what what song. We'll, we'll get to it in a little bit. But they were like, apparently, there were like um, somewhere between. They said th- between thirty and a hundred reels of tape just for the basic tracks. Because they just kept, Jeez. they just kept like they couldn't get a good take of it, and so they just kept going and going and going. So. I don't know about you, Graham, but maybe we could kind of get into the tracks. 
here. Yeah, yeah, there's there's just one little thing that I wanted to touch on regarding the uh, technical personnel for the album. All right. Um, so, again, I had mentioned how, you know, you hear of a lot of famous producers throughout the year or throughout yeah. the years, and especially during this time period, too. I had not heard of, of Jimmy Miller but one person that I had heard about was someone who's credited as an engineer, and that's Glenn Johns. And I think, and if what? I'm not mistaken, I believe he's responsible for most of Led Zeppelin's production. Really? Yeah. Like, it, oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Cool. And, and, and I think he, he also did the first two albums by the Eagles, uh, which, you know, just like yeah. Lebowski says, you know, it's yeah. been a long night. and yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, but I just I just thought that was interesting, and I wonder I wonder why he wasn't the main producer. I I just just a question. If anyone out there knows, or what else did Jimmy Miller do as a producer? I mean, I could look it up right now, but I guess I should have done a little more homework there. But anyways, this is your homework, Larry? Um, Dude, we know it's his homework. Yeah. So. Let's get into the tracks here. It's a it's a double album. For those of you who uh, have been with us for a while now, we've done a few double albums. I think we've done Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin. We did uh, the Beatles' White Album. And typically what we do is we go through, and oh, we also did um, Nine Inch Nails' The Fragile. But we'll go through and we'll talk about each song. And what we've done for the other ones is we've made like a single disc. Now, I don't know if we want to go through and, you know, at, at you know, we won't, we won't do that here, but in the will, comments you know, section, in the below. comments, yeah, in the comments so below. Like after if, you go ahead and, you know, like, subscribe, like, and subscribe and comment. Below. Yeah, comment. check one out the comments. the comments. Yeah. If you want to give us, like, what, if you could pick, like, one disc of songs, which is what, about 40 some minutes? 40 some minutes? To be safe, I'd give you twenty. Let's say twenty-four minutes max aside. Side. That's being, cool. I think, generous-ish. Yeah. So, anyways, it's a fun game to play. Now, that doesn't mean that we would want this to be a single disc because, dude, this album is amazing. I love that it's double disc. I love. Oh, that me so too. Much but I, I, I do like amazing. that game. That was a fun yeah. one with the white album. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. if you want to have fun with us, do that. All right, Grim. Side one, track one, disc one. Get your yeah. rocks off. Rocks off. Might be my favorite song in the album. Whoa. Wow. Easy. Okay. Well, dude, dude. I, I don't know, because then you're then we're gonna throw in ventilator blues and a couple other ones and dude hard to top, but dude, rocks yeah. off is easily uh, like in my top two, I'll say, on this album. Oh. I mean, dude, it's 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 such a great way to start the album, you know, kind of with that nasty little guitar riff, and then mix like yeah or whatever yeah. he says, right? And then, uh, dude, the, the the song just really moves. It's got a good groove to it. That um, horn part just makes the, it at the it's, end. It's the horn part because Ooh. all of a sudden, when that comes out, it's like, oh wow, this is something kind of a new element that we haven't heard from the Stones really before. Yeah, um, at least at least not in in this way. And yep. you hadn't really. I mean, I'm trying to think if I, if I just think about Rocks Off, and I'm thinking about their their previous albums. I don't think I'd heard a song like no. That, like if this song was on one of those albums, it would be a real outlier. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um. um 
Yeah. So for so for what it's worth, dude, Jimmy Miller, I guess, produced the the big four albums. Really? The Stones. Yeah, it looks like he did all of them. Dang. All right. So, anyways, the big that's a just big four. A, that's just an FYI. Why? Yeah. All right. So then you don't slow down going in to rip this joint. I mean, Whoa. that one that one Great is title. almost yeah, um, but it's almost more in your face. It is right. Yeah, uh, be just just the way the vocals are delivered. I mean, there it's it's like an assault kind of. It it definitely is like rocks off starts off. It's it's really upbeat, but rip this joint. They definitely pick up just the pace even right more. In there, just, yeah. just keep just keep it going. Kind of like um, right you know, on time on California. Yeah. that's like there right on time. <laughs> it is pretty much. Uh, no, it has a really really fast guitar riff. I I dig it, and I so. Here's the thing. I believe so. Nicky Hopkins plays piano on "Rocks Off." And I believe he plays piano on "Rip This Joint" as well. When I was listening to it at first, I thought maybe it was Billy Preston, but he only gets credit for "Shine a Light." So I'm I'm pretty sure that that's Nicky Hopkins that we're hearing yeah, uh, play the piano on this that. song. Um, and because I didn't see anyone else getting getting credit for it. Yeah. Um, moving on to "Shake Your Hips." Now, dude. This is just kind of like a like they got I, what I love about this album is some real dirty blues, right? And, and, and this, this is, is that. This is definitely that. But this is a, I believe a cover. Is that correct? Yeah, by Slim Harpo. Now Slim it's, Harpo. it's funny because you know Slim Harpo was a, a obviously an American blues musician, uh, but they they call him like one of the leading people in what they would call the swamp blues style. Oh. And I, I feel like you could that, that this, this is swamp song, blues, yeah, yeah. Gosh, you know when, when yeah. you're here's the thing: they need to come up with better genres like that. All right, we yeah. can't have country and alternative country. Can we have it like like dude blues and then dude swamp blues? Like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, like, I it's do. like I man, do. yeah. Come on, so let's get a little Alter, more creative. All country with could genre. just be called like good country, swamp, country. <laughs> swamp country, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, dude, uh, we move on to Casino Boogie, and one thing that I've always loved about this song, and and we've heard of other artists do this uh, with some songs. Gosh, there was one not too long ago we did. It was more of a modern artist, um, but lyrically they write down a bunch of phrases on paper, and then they cut it up into oh, sections, throw in like a hat, that. and then they they pick out the words, and that's what they did here with Casino Boogie. The cool thing about it is, is the order, apparently the order that they actually picked them out of the hat is the order that they are recorded in, in the, in the song. So I was that's, just like, oh, that's, and that's, 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 that's cool. for those phrases that, which makes sense. Cause they Skip, seemingly, bro, would, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I like how Mick and Keith they they, for some reason, their voices work well when they're together balanced. Right. And this is a good example of that. And then I kind of like how they're doing those phrases. Then Mick will take off somewhere else on his own. Right. But I, right. I think they do a really good job with the vocals on that one. Yeah. It is funny because, you know, especially with Keith, I mean, you know, you wouldn't say like he's an amazing vocalist. No, he, no, I would he, not say that. He, he has his sound, and, but he doesn't need to be. You're like, it's, it's okay. You know, it's like, meant to like, be with Keith or with right. Mick. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And exactly. when that, when that happens, it's, it's great. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so then we move on to maybe dice. tumbling dice. I believe this was the the single from the uh, the first single from yep. the album, and probably the song. I think most people, if you haven't heard this album, you've 
you've heard this song heard this song it's it's played at pretty much every every live show that they do it's a great song yeah it, it is it is now dude originally though it was called good time woman and it was recorded during the sticky finger sessions oh interesting i didn't know that and so Um, one thing i gotta say about this song is the bass does it all in this song which do you know who played bass mick taylor yes he did apparently bill wyman wasn't there now bill might take issue with that but from what i saw mick taylor is credited with with bass well you know and this is the song this is a song, Grim, where they say there were, yeah, between 30 and 100 reels of tape for that. So, uh, Yeah, well, they, they, did, they did choose the right one. What does it say? Tumbling Dice. Does it? Mick does Taylor. It, give... it says Mick Taylor oh. bass on the vinyl. Whoa. All right, all right, all right. So, so the thing about this dude is, uh, you know, Mick Jagger, he also said that he, he doesn't really like this album a whole lot. Like the album yeah. as a whole, he doesn't really like it, and the biggest reason I think he, he said he doesn't like it, he's like he's like he's like it really just needs to be remixed. It's not mixed right. You know, oh, so well, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. Spinal him Tap and G- saw that he, firsthand. Him and Janine would be like, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he also he's definitely said he didn't like the final mixing of this song. So, oh, sorry. I disagree. I, mean, I, I, I think it's great, dude. Dude, that yeah. baseline carries it when they go into that. Like the the bass line that transitions into that is just fantastic yeah. to yeah. me. It and carries dude, the whole thing. The background vocals, oh, so oh good. yeah, so good. All right, Graham, we're gonna flip sides here. Mm-hmm. Track one side on side two. two. One of my favorite songs on the album, "Sweet one. Virginia," and mm-hmm. the the instrumentation is just phenomenal i love the acoustic guitar the harmonica the mandolin right that's a mandolin in there i'm sure right yeah yeah i mean dude it has this kind of it just has such a country like hillbilly blues feel to it it's just it's it's such a beautiful song the lyrics are great i mean it's it's just one thing i i I kind of picked up from the the stones and exile thing is um Keith was talking about his kind of fondness for American country music. And one thing that he brought up that he thought was interesting is, and I love how he says it too. He's like, yeah, the American hillbillies, they just have some interesting subject matter. (laughs) And it's funny. I mean, it's not wrong. They, they do. And when you think about it, this song is, I I think kind of goes with that. You know, it's Definitely. like oh. it's like their take on on that or what? It, it's it it certainly does, and um, I, I believe it was Mick who said, uh, or it's kind of what they were talking about. It is that, um, gosh, was it? Oh yeah, so this song kind of being heavily influenced, sort of by the drug fueled atmosphere in the villa uh, that they're in, and that's where they get the. You know, drop your reds, drop your greens and blues. Oh you yeah, know, yeah. You know, hide the speeds inside your boot. And uh, but I, dude, dude, one of my favorite lines is, "Is uh, thank you for your wine, California. Thank you for your sweet and bitter fruit." It's just yeah. There's just there's just some really really good lyrics and lines in the song. I'm I'm just huge dude. Huge you gotta scrape that shit right off your shoes. Your that shoes, you I love that line. That yeah. is that yeah. is a really good one. But it's cool because they don't really swear 
very often. No, they songs. don't. And, they and don't. It's that's done very tastefully, so I dig it. Yeah, um, agree. Going on to torn and frayed, my friend. Oh, I, I like this one too. And, and it, to me, it kind of it, it kind of picks up very well right after Sweet Virginia because it's very similar stylistically. And um, I don't know. You know what song it kind of reminds me of that that is off Beggar's Banquet is oh. it, it, it reminds me of the subject matter jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, I okay. I, yeah, agreed. Because you know they talk because in jigsaw puzzle it's it's a little it's sort of a bio, autobiographical. We're talking about um, you know in the you know whatever the drummer he's always on you know he's yeah. on time or whatever but then in this one they're talking about well the ballrooms and smelly bordellos and dressing yeah. rooms filled with parasites on stage yeah. the band has got problems uh they're a bag of nerves uh on first nights like just things like that, that to me that is just it's so autobiographical for them and i feel like jigsaw uh, puzzle has a lot of those elements in it so i kind of think of these songs as sort of like you know second cousin kindred spirits like that. kindred yeah. spirits blood brothers whatever yeah um oh okay move on now maybe uh sweet black angel another one of my favorites man it's you could never get away with it lyrically today yeah i was just gonna say you could not get away with it today um so if you do listen to lyrics and listen a little little closely there's some a word that should not be used um well and just just the idea of 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 singing a song is she's a sweet black sweet angel black not angel. a sweet black slave i mean yeah that's that's pretty blatant right there well, too well so here the the thing the song is actually it's about um uh angela davis who was a civil rights activist and at this time she was actually uh facing um murder charges so i don't really? know a whole lot more about her and that and those charges and everything but that's when i was doing research that's what i found out about oh, wow it. so i, I would, think i'd like to read up more on that yeah it doesn't name her specifically but that i guess is yeah who, sure. who inspired the song um and dude for for me i just i, I love the acoustics in this song I, I guess what is that like a washboard what are they what what's the percussion that they're kind of playing on i that? think it's, so i i think it is okay and um, I, I mean they don't call it out specifically but and, and so I think this, they use a lot of like alternate percussion in this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> now I guess the I, I this is another song I believe that probably Alan Klein got um, rights to because the initial recordings were done at Jagger's house during the Sticky Finger section uh, sessions. So. Well, you know what I have to say about that. What yeah, the fuck, fuck is that, that shit? We're gonna finish disc one with a uh, loving cup, my friend. Yeah. Now, have you ever seen the, um, they did a few years ago, Martin Scorsese did this documentary, um, on the Stones playing a live show and I have not watched that. Okay. So the cool thing about it is, is so they, you know, they're playing this. I don't know if it's a, um, you know, for charity or for what it is, but they're playing some sort of special concert. And so they're playing a bunch of songs and everything, but then they bring musical guests out to, to play with them. And the musical guests that they bring out to play this song with them is uh, Jack white, which is pretty oh, really? neat. Yeah. Is yeah. Cool. Yeah. It is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> this is also another song that um, Alan Clyde sued them for. So, <laughs> wow. Um, that's, also, that's Oh, really there is special. a different. So 
Apparently, though, there's a different version. And, you know, I have the deluxe version of this this song, but uh, during the Let It Bleed sessions, they recorded a version of this song that is a, apparently say it's different, pretty different than this, or at least, um, I don't know, if it was the piano intro or something, but um, I'll have to, I'd have to listen to it and kind of compare. Oh, yeah, I, I would like to. And that's that's um, is that the stuff that's on this? Oh yeah, on the the uh, reissue from 2010. Yeah, I yeah. I would imagine that's on probably like whatever streaming service you use. I haven't listened to that disc, but I really do want to listen to it now. After yeah, I, you know I the, the the main song off that disc that I've heard a, a bunch of times. What is it? Plundered, plundered, plundered by my, my soul. soul, plundered my soul. Yeah, I. You know, when I used to listen to this album, I would just kind of listen to it all the way through and it would just kind of roll into those into those bonus songs. Uh, but yeah, Plundered My Soul. What else is there? Yeah, there's a Love and Cup alternate take, Soul Survivor alternate take, All Down the Line alternate take and, and uh, Good Time Woman, which what did we just say? That was Tumbling um, Dice, wasn't it? Tumbling Dice. Yeah. So yeah. so it's pretty cool that, you know, they, they got some uh, different versions of tracks always fun to kind of listen to that so <clears throat> all right grim moving on disc two yeah keep it happy zone i know right happy yeah <laughs> you know he gets he gets what one song an album sort of yeah dude you got you got the silver <clears throat> um what's that on let it bleed i think mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he. Every once in a while, there's one where he sings. Yeah. It's 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 almost like as sparse as the ones Ringo sings. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah definitely, definitely. Although you you probably like this one better than Octopus's Garden, I'm guessing. You that would be a fair statement. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um. Well, I think it's a cool way to to start the second disc. Start it with the Keith song. Oh, dude, yeah, and and the riff is is a good riff to start with. The way totally. the way the song kind of kicks in. I'm, yeah, yeah. I hear well, it, it kind of to me, it kind of has a similar feel to almost to how Rocks Off starts starts the album, just with the beat and yeah. the tempo and everything. Like it just kind of has that kind of just just has that feel. So, um, so apparently though, Keith said that uh, they just recorded that like one afternoon in France, and he said it took about four hours, and that was it. It was just like done. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He was like, and yeah, I think got- we, he was like, oh, I think we started at noon or something like that. And he was like, you know, the song didn't exist before then. And then in four hours later, it was done. So. <laughs> well, that's interesting because he's also credited as playing bass on it. Jimmy Miller plays drums, Bobby. So, yeah, that makes sense. Like nobody else was around, <laughs> you know, it was like those those couple guys. Yeah. 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 That's cool. <laughs> So Grim, now we have a we have an interesting song, interesting title, "Turd, Turd. <laughs> on the Run." I mean, first of all, the song is a very funny song. It kind of sounds like I don't know if it's I don't know what a "Turd on the Run" sounds like, but if I had to, it, it would be like this: the way the song kind of kind of moves. But it, it I, feels to me a lot like "Shake Your Hips." Okay, but faster, sure. but faster. Sure. Yeah, and I've always I've always just liked the "I've lost a lot of nerve over you." I just I think that's a good line. Totally. Well, I I just can't imagine you know being in a band, and be like oh, I don't know you know dude what should we call this song I know turd on, turd the, run. on the run that <laughs> yeah okay let's just stick with that yeah, yeah I know I know we should put that out as a single all right Graham now we but get to dude oh, yeah the one oh, we've all man. been waiting for yeah ventilator See, now, blues yeah. 
Oh man. So yeah, uh, dude, I guess if I, if so, I said it, that, um, rocks off was my, one of my top three on the album, dude, those top three are rocks off ventilator blues. And I just want to see his face. Okay. Okay. The like transition that. is so wonderful. Oh, it's phenomenal. I love the transition as well. It's great. Um, and just the, the Wurlitzer sounds so nice on that song. They got the vibrato up on there. It just, it's got such a good, and dude, again, background vocals really making that song. It's just got, it, it's kind of got like a spiritual Oh, I just sound want to, see to his it, face. Oh, yeah, but absolutely. it's almost haunting. Yeah, I, I kind of yeah. jumped ahead with Ventilator yeah. Blues. So let's back yeah. up a second. Yeah. Well, dude. So apparently, Mick Taylor gets writing credit because he's the one who came up with that that nasty riff. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, ding, ding. It's just it, the way it just kind of it's it is so dirty and it kind of hops along. It has this almost sinister sort of feel to it. Oh I, yeah, I think, right. And uh, yeah. and the way he sings it too, he kind of he's got this he kind of shouts it, and he's 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 got a little attitude, kind of. Oh, when dude, yeah, sing it, dude. We all need some kind of ventilator, and I love. He says, "Go on and get it." Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So, oh, such it. a good song, and I, I like the the bit about where apparently they they had done takes of this or versions, and and the drumming was different. And it was Bobby Keys who actually said something to Charlie Watts, and he was like, "I feel like you really got to hit it on the two and four instead of like, you know." Okay. And and it was funny because when he's recounting this, he's like, "I, you know, who the hell is Bobby Keys to tell Charlie Watts how to play the drums?" But he was so gracious. That's and right. Then, and then I Charlie Watts part. is recounting it, and. You know, he, of course, he's very humble about it. And he just, he yeah. said, yeah, Bobby Keys suggested this. And it just, it kind of worked after that point. Right. But yeah, it's, oof, dude. good song. It's amazing, dude. And so, yeah, then, then into I Just Want to See His Face. and Oh, yeah. The transition is, is really good. I mean, you know, the Stones are not one of those bands where you typically say like, oh man, I transitioned into that song. Yeah. That's just not something they do. Yeah, it's no, that's a great style. point, but but this one does it so well, and yeah. and I actually, you know, so continuing on, I really like Let It Loose as well. Let it loose, oh, it is, dude. It's it's nice because it, you know, um, the song starts a little more slow and, and kind of chill, right? Mm-hmm. Which which I which I really dig, um, and dude, that the guitar, the way it sounds, is I was amazing. just gonna go there. Uh-huh. And um, I'm just going to let you take it because I have it in my notes, but this is more your specialty. So I just want to hear you. Oh, so yeah. let me guess. It says that Keith Richards recorded his guitar through a Leslie organ speaker on fast speed. That's probably exactly what it says, isn't it? I mean, actually, well, all I had was uh, through a Leslie speaker. So you just went above and beyond. Well, because it, I mean, the Leslie speakers, they have there's, you know, it's it's a moving horn. Right. And a moving baffle. And I've I've I have one in the corner over here you can't see, but um and I have a thing where you can run a guitar through it. And it, it that's that's the sound. It, it's that you know, that kind nice. of vibrato, but it's different than like a vibrato pedal because it doesn't like chop the signal up, it just kind of swirls it around and it's it's such a nice effect and I think it is so well done. But anyways, 
there's a slow and a fast speed and the slow just kind of has this haunting like think about how the guitar sounds when they play the riff and i know you know the riff on shine on your crazy diamond parts mm-hmm. one through five i think that's through a leslie speaker on slow speed it sounds like it's moving but you almost can't tell right. but this one it's really it's very fast sweet sweet yeah they're very fast nerd alert <laughs> yeah all right now we gotta flip the record again all down the line Another fast pick me up song. I feel like each each side is, you know, starts with something. Uh, I mean, Sweet Virginia, I guess, is a little slower. But three of the four sides all have yeah, something that, that they, really they, ca- kind of move. Yeah, you gotta move. Um, now, I believe, I believe um, that I think they said uh, Mick Taylor plays the slide on this. Is that? Oh, right? I, I would believe that. Yeah. Well, I like the slide guitar. You're saying, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was also, you know, Mick Taylor. I think is credited with playing the guitar in this, and they said um, uh, Keith did rhythm. So that's just yeah. I, I would it. believe that um, because if you think about, dude, that that main riff uh, for Ventilator Blues, they're sliding there, right? I think he's wearing it on his pinky or something, so just he can jump up to that, yeah, that minor third above and. <laughs> But yeah, I, I like this song, and, and it's one of those ones. Like the next song is is another cover on the album. Right. Um, Stop this. Down. This sounds like one where you, I almost just because of the way the the lyrics and the the, the like the thematic kind of subject matter of the song. I guess I could have believed like like this would have been a cover if you didn't know better. Oh, all down the line. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I could. I could see that. I could see that. But um, to me, I guess that speaks of like what a good job they do just capturing that, sort of, yeah, that, yeah. that style. They do. They do. Well, the thing with, uh, I shouldn't say they, they captured it too well, but uh, so with Stop Breaking Down, apparently uh, that is a Robert Johnson song. Yep. And uh, they were sued in 2000 by Robert Johnson's estate saying that the song uh, was not in the public domain. So uh, apparently they either never gave them royalties or I'm not really sure what the deal was. I'm surprised it took until 2000 for for that to happen. Dude, at that point, that yeah. person's related to him about as much as I am. I mean, dude, he died a long time ago, right. man. And right. Dude, and I wonder what that estate looks like because I he may have had a lot of kids, but... I think the story goes is that, dude, he was killed by a jealous husband. Oh, really? He was poisoned. Yeah, I mean, dude, he, Robert Johnson is the one that the story of selling your soul at the crossroads right, is, for, is right. about. Yeah, Right. I mean, yeah. a lot of people, I think Clapton's one of them who, who considers him just like, just the absolute pinnacle of just right. the early blues. A lot of people do. He's sure. not my favorite, but I have I have his like his uh, big compilation discs of all his recordings. And I mean, right. dude, so many people have covered him. Right. Led Zeppelin teased yeah. stuff from oh, him on the I mean, Lemon song, ton, and dude, yeah. tons of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sure, his estate's doing okay, even though it's probably divided up. But yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Um, we got two tracks left. Grim shine, shine a light. Light. Um, again, this is this is probably maybe one of the more popular songs. Um, I, I I do they do play it live. I think. Um, and, and that oh, okay. Might, that might might can contribute to it. Um, but I, I guess Mick started writing this song in in '68 when Brian Jones was still a member of the band. And I was actually called "Get a Line on You," and it had it, it dealt with basically that what it dealt with was Jones's um, addiction to not only to drugs but then also his detachment from the band. Wow! So it was like "Get a Line on You," um, and uh, as we know, sadly, um, you know Brian he Jones, didn't make it, and then he, he changed make- it to "Shine a Light on You." Yeah, yeah. Oh, so may- maybe a little more of a tribute i guess and that's well sense, yeah but that's, that's so. kind of cool if it started out that way and then it kind of became that right right that's interesting um i guess so i guess mick uh mick taylor plays guitar and bass on this track um although this is one of those ones that wyman says that um you know he's wrong and wyman played bass on it so i'm fine with either i it's not a big deal to me I don't know. yeah i think yeah. it came out fine so. yeah good job both of you, you yeah know, i'll give both of you credit yeah. So I'm sure <laughs> whoever played it, the other one influenced them. We'll just leave oh, it at that. Without Huge a doubt. Influence. Yeah. All right. We finished the album, Grim, with Soul, Soul Survivor. Survivor. This one is, is says it's based by Keith Richards, by the way. All right. Can somebody please clear this up? Because <laughs> yeah. I like, this is this is written on the vinyl. This is not out of a Wikipedia uh, entry or anything. So Yeah. Jace, let's get it together. Get it together. Um, so, and it is it is also listed in the wiki article too that he played bass on that one. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. Freaking love it. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, yeah. I bet I bet Jagger played bass on it too. I mean, while we're at it, you know, maybe yeah. Bobby, maybe Bobby Keys. <laughs> um. So yeah, dude. Uh, Soul Survivor. Um, dude, it's kind of like a you know and again it's sort of a nastier little blue song um uh, he says you're gonna be the death of me a lot so i i have a feeling yeah i'm just speculating could be talking to a woman maybe some woman from the past who knows um but uh yeah i mean it's got again uh great background vocals and it's uh i don't know it's it's just it's a good song so so here we are. Here we are. I scratched last, first. You did. Right. Did I? I did. Now we've we've. This is not the first double we've done, and typically what we would do is is we would say, well, I mean, the way the game works based on reality is that you could theoretically have a song on each disc that would be scratched. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So I guess I'll go through what that would be, but if if we were just scratching one, I also know what that would be. Okay, so you're gonna start. Are you starting with the discs, disc one, or yeah. or are you gonna start with your overall scratch? I'll start with my overall scratch. Okay, give it to me. Stop breaking down. Okay. Any just, particular reason, my friend? No, I mean. I, I don't know. They're just, it, it's just, I don't know. It, it's, it's okay. It's just not one of my favorites. I think that 
I, I guess I like the feel of the other cover on the album a lot more than this one. Okay. That's and fair. it's a pretty, it's a fairly, I mean, if you know Robert Johnson's catalog, I think you'd it'd be considered one of the more uh, famous, I guess, for lack of a better word. Okay. I gotcha. So being that that is on disc two, that would also yeah. be my scratch for disc, for disc two. two. Now, if I had to do something off of both and I had to do one off of disc one, I would probably do rip this joint. Ooh, okay. Okay. And again, not that I don't like it. It's just, um, it's just such a barrage. It is. It, it is a barrage. You're right. You're right. It is a barrage. Um, I don't know. I think, I think I kind of like the barrage to start the album, but yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. Uh, cause Ro- rocks off isn't, you know, is pretty, pretty up there, but then rip this joint just, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess my overall scratch, I'm going to do soul survivor. Okay. And yeah, shine a light. Wouldn't be a bad way to end the that's, album that's kind of my, my main thing. A lot of times when I'm get done to sh- with shine a light, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm good. The album's over. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm good. Like it's not whatever. I mean, not if I'm listening to it on vinyl, but it's it's definitely I'm just like yeah I'm good and, and that's my main reason I mean I think it's a fine song um, but I didn't really have much to say about it either it's not I mean I do like Soul Survive like yeah like, you I, know, I, I, know. I do like that but um, I know dude it, nothing else really stands out on the song to me uh, that's just me yeah. um, so that that would be my overall and disc two scratch now my disc one scratch this once once we started talking about I it. Know. Dude, I'm actually going to go with Love and Cup. I could see that. I it again, it doesn't it, it's it's one that I do find myself skipping. Like I yeah, I, I, I just do. Um and if I just I mean, in 100% honesty, if if I'm listening to this album on my, you know, phone or whatever and I'm just kind of like oh, I want to get to some other songs, like I'll go from Sweet Black Angel like I'll skip a couple. I'll go right into Ventilator Blues. Because oh, uh, you're skipping. Of course, you're skipping turd on the run. No. Of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, um, but dude, yeah. I mean, love and cup. I, I don't know. There's something about it. I'm just like, yeah, it's okay. It just, it just again, doesn't you know? Yeah, blow my socks off. yeah. It doesn't blow my socks off. So, um, all right. Well, hey everyone, let us know what track you would scratch below. Also, we've discussed our favorite tracks a little bit. You've kind of given me your top three. Um, mine would. Mine would be um, Sweet Virginia, Ventilator Blues. Those are my two favorite songs. And and I'll just throw in I Just Want to See His Face because they go together so nicely. Oh, dude. Um, that one's so awesome. Yeah. So also let us know your favorite tracks. And if you want to play the game and you want to create one disc, well, then that would be fun too. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. Yes. Well, we did a double album here, Graham. It doesn't look like we got it under one hour, but dang, we're close. close real close. close. Real close. For an On album note, of this magnitude, I think it's okay. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame us. So, all right, Stones fans. Time to go. Scratch a track is produced by the Dude and Grim. Additional music provided by Moore and the Tins. 
Copyright 2021, The Doom Room Show. 